Welcome to Write That Down, hosted by Nate Ulrich and myself, Jacob Novak. This is a podcast where two everyday creative people try to break through the noise and do creative things. This week, we talk about our experiences with something that's prevalent in just about every field, imposter syndrome. We dive deep into what causes it, how it affects everyone, and how we overcome it. So, let's get into it. So, Nate, uh, before we started recording, we were joking about uh, auteurism and how I just kind of sprung that on you with no warning, uh, and how the the listeners may not have been as aware of that term uh, as we were. But I think we have a little bit uh, something more mainstream today, and that's imposter syndrome. Uh, but it still might be something that some might not fully grasp or might not have even heard of. So uh, can you tell us uh, what is imposter syndrome? How, uh, how do you get it? Uh, is it covered under my health care? <laughs> oh, well, uh, probably not covered under your health care. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, doing worth some, checking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, doing some initial initial research. Um, so I found that uh, imposter syndrome was sort of first identified in 1978 by some psychologists. Uh, Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne uh, Imes, maybe. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Uh, and so basically overarching, it basically theorized that women are uniquely affected by this imposter syndrome. Uh, but sort of today, when we look at imposter syndrome, it can really apply to anyone who really isn't able to internalize their own successes. And so as we talk about imposter syndrome and as we dive deeper into it, we're, we're going to distinguish the difference between you know, what we'll call a creative uh, imposter syndrome and sort of a workplace imposter syndrome, noting that a creative workplace is something that exists. Uh, But there is two distinctions between um, having imposter syndrome as a creative uh, versus just having imposter syndrome as somebody who uh, doesn't recognize their uh, achievements or um, says that potentially they've only succeeded due to luck. Um, not because of their qualifications. And right. I also want to recognize that, uh, you know, as two white dudes, you know, talking in this podcast, <laughs> I Just think it's sitting in my closet. <laughs> yes. It's important to, to recognize that, uh, in, when talking about imposter syndrome, maybe, uh, folks experience it in different ways. Um, and I think that, you know, as we dive deeper into this, uh, other people may experience it differently. And this is our perspective of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just the thing is uh, it does impact everyone uh, in different ways. You know, it's it's it seems like something where you might be able to be in your head uh, of thinking, all right, I can't do this. I'm not qualified for this. Uh, I can't stack up to everybody else, but probably at least like 70% of the other people in the room have probably felt that same way. It's it's just kind of a universal thing that we all have felt at some point, but w- we don't often talk about it with each other or as much as we should, you know? Right, right. And, I th- I, and I'm really excited to talk about this today because, you know, we are both uh, young. I mean, we've both just joined the, the professional workforce in the past year. Uh, and... A lot of times, you know, people can experience imposter syndrome, you know, in college or or in high school or in their first job. Uh, but but 
for us uh, in particular, I mean, we probably are still experiencing it now as we're nearing our first full year or, or second full year of work uh, or, or just starting a job, right? And so right. Um, I think it's important that, again, this is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments uh, and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Now, that's sort of the overall definition or or a definition out there of imposter syndrome. But today, uh, when we're diving into the creative imposter syndrome, let's say, that it is a false belief that our art or our videos or our scripts is not worth the money because someone might not like it. Right. And that the quality uh, basically separates uh, a recreational artist from a professional artist uh, in that a professional feels worthy of getting paid for subjective work. And so that's the distinction that we're making there, that uh, as a creative, imposter syndrome may look like us not thinking that our work is worth the money or the time or the effort uh, to to sell. Or because it is subjective work uh, or subjective in nature that uh, someone might not think it is professional enough. And in the end, right. and we're going to continue to talk about this, but in the end, we end up being our greatest critic. So it's very counterproductive to experience uh, imposter syndrome, and yet we all experience it. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you, you try to work on, on something creative or not, but then you get in your head saying it might not be good enough to get this job or, or to sell to someone or something like that. So then because of that thought, you back down, but then you're never able able to reach your full potential uh, and and prove yourself to see if, you know, you're right or wrong. And so, it you know, you become your greatest enemy. What's that Christian Slater show? Yeah, I think it was my own worst enemy. Or yeah, something where yeah. he played like two versions of himself. I yeah. never watched it. I just saw the commercials. You're, you're very uh, good at, at alluding to things and bringing up. Uh, you make us sound really professional. But <laughs> By but, bringing up Christian Slater. <laughs> by bringing up all other artists. You know, I'm going to put this out there. I'm glad Jacob's on the show with me because he can bring up these names that I've hardly ever heard of. And I can pretend <laughs> like I know exactly what he's talking about. I mean, uh, <laughs> Christian Slater, I mean, he's a good actor, but like, it's not some deep cut where I'm talking about Stanley Kubrick from last time, you know? Well, you know, you had me there. I just didn't bring it up last night or last, last time. <laughs> That's good. That's uh, good. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it like I said, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, like, I mean, like you said, it, it's, you know, you're your own worst enemy in, in that, well, uh, you'll, you won't even bother trying to produce something or go for jobs that you might be qualified for, but you, you just get in your head about it. Or, or even overqualified for, right? Right. But like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's important that we can also, at this moment, distinguish the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem. This is going to be a little, um, I think there's a difference there that's important. So for me, self-confidence and, and I, you know, I did a, a little bit of research before the podcast, so I am paraphrasing other people's work, but overall it's a general idea that self-confidence is how we feel about our own abilities. And this is sort of internalized. This is ourself versus self-esteem, which is how we feel about our abilities sort of in the face of other people. When we compare our work to, um, 
when we compare uh, other people's work to ours. And I think that distinction is important because to have a high self-confidence, you can also have a high self-esteem and vice versa. And it can be a, it can be problematic when we compare uh, and, and we're always hearing uh, or seeing people's work that is better than ours. And we are judging ourselves based on that. Yeah. And it, it, that definitely is kind of accentuated even more today uh, with, you know, how easy it is to see things that other people are producing on YouTube or uh, just, you know, the college environment can generally be pretty competitive because you're just, you know, in a department with so many other people all trying to achieve the same goal. And, and even if like, I mean, I, I can't imagine going to a different college, but I, I, you, I still couldn't help, but compare myself to others. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just uh, an impulsive kind of thing. Sure. Sure. You, you, that that's important. And that's going to bring us actually deeper into, uh, it also depends on the space that you are in, uh, in the space that the people around you are in, for instance, in, in, uh, uh, you, you brought up how widespread it is and, and how how easy it is to see others other people's work uh, through YouTube or Vimeo or even just uh, being in close proximity to other people and their work. And it if you have a sense of belonging in that space, for instance, I'm more speaking towards being in college, uh, especially our um, our experience in college was if you had a sense of belonging with the people around you, the creatives around you, uh, the folks who are doing similar things, uh, then, and those people were giving feedback that was, uh, positive feedback. That was super important. Whereas if you're in a space where you're only receiving negative feedback, that's going to affect your confidence and your self-esteem and therefore further, perhaps further, uh, your imposter syndrome, I guess, experience, right? Yeah. And I think it is important to distinguish, uh, like even in our fields, if, if you're surrounded by people that you trust to give you feedback, they can give you constructive feedback, but it, it is like, uh, just making sure that the people you surround yourself with aren't, are, are, are lifting you up more than just trying to put you down, I guess is, really the only opposite there, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredibly important, uh, because it also extends beyond, you know, the creative field. Right. And, and we I know we talked, we were going to talk about just sort of staying in within the creative field, but if you're on a team in the workforce and your team, uh, does not have good communication, if your team just isn't able to connect with one another, if there isn't transparency in that team, it allows for those feelings of inadequacy. Yeah which which furthers our uh our problems with even even if we are good enough for the job and we can excel and do our job tasks we internalize it and we feel as though we're not good enough for it yeah it, it, that's an interesting point to bring up because i've had experiences where i was working on a team uh but we were all kind of doing our own separate facets of the job mm-hmm. or something like that and so uh, there wasn't much communication between everybody. We were just kind of all trying to be self-sustaining. Uh, but that was hard for me because if I ever had a question, I would be nervous to ask. Yeah. Uh, and if I I would ask and then I would just get in my head of being like, man, that was a stupid question. 
like that i i don't you know getting into the whole i don't belong here you know i things like that that that's definitely something important to bring up is is communication is is, is key because even if you are giving uh constructive or, or quote unquote negative feedback it, it's making sure that you're doing so in an environment that allows people to grow instead of just you know telling telling them this is wrong try again and then you know separating yourself from them right right i i i uh think that another thing that should be mentioned is a big driver for imposter syndrome is is what people have been calling the inner voice uh it's sort of our own uh, that's that tiny voice in the back of our head that says oh uh this actually might not be good enough or oh i'm not sure if this is worth the money or you know it's that little voice in the back of your head that no one else can hear yeah. <laughs> and if you talk about that little <laughs> voice people might people might look at you funny or people might say you know hey you should you should go talk to someone which uh, i i think is a great thing but uh yeah. that little voice drives a lot of this doubt and that is what is that's internalized that's the internalized uh fear of what you're doing or you're thinking yourself as a fraud and that's just that little voice yeah yeah i actually have another experience and and i i, I want to get to your experiences as well but what you just said reminds me of something uh that sometimes i th- i think about it was uh again with the why men uh <laughs> it was uh when we premiered it at the Liberal Arts Symposium at Juniata. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there was the first time anybody passed, uh, you know, pe- being in the crew was seeing it. And so, obviously, the night before, uh, I was super worried. And, like, we played it in the auditorium where uh, the presentation was going to be just to make sure everything worked and everything sounded fine. And I was still super nervous. I almost did the cliche thing that you'll see in movies or something where you wait outside the theater because you can't bear to be in there. there But then I thought, you know what, if I did that, I wouldn't be able to bear not hearing what people's reactions were to certain parts. So I'm going to sit in there anyways. Yep. Uh, so, uh, I, I, we, we did that and, and you were next to me. You helped me, uh, with the lights and everything because I was nervous about every little thing. Right. Uh, and, uh, the movie ended and you turn on the lights. I, I got up to address the crowd because we had to get out of there relatively quickly. And I'm not telling this story to, to toot my own horn or something like that, but I believe it was a standing out. Oh, it was. Uh, I was, and... I was jumping up and down and there were probably a hundred <laughs> other people jumping up and down, if not more. Jacob, and, and, that was big. Yeah. And I don't tell this story to, to give myself a pat on the back. I, I say this because this is a moment that I regret not being in more because that inner voice was in my head in that moment. Uh, one, being preoccupied with, okay, we have to get out of this room right now because the actual keynote speaker needs to be in here. But the <laughs> inner right, voice. That's right. <laughs> yeah. My, the, my own inner voice was being like, they're probably just applauding because they want to make me feel good uh, or feel better right. or something like that. You know, it, it's just something that is, is hard to push away. I guess that was a very long witted <laughs> explanation for the inner voice, but that, that just shows, you know, it, it's, it's something that can de- detract from that moment that I yep. wish I was in more. 
And I think a lot of people experience that. And, and it's, uh, it's, you're never going to get that moment back, but I'm so, so happy that you were there for that moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely, that, that would have been a terrible, like 46 minutes of just being outside the hall. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been so bad. It's like the sports fans that turn off the TV and don't know the end of the game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, right. They don't experience it. That's so funny. I love it. Well, yeah. So, so that that's kind of a, a big, uh, uh, example for me. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you have anything that comes to mind from your own experiences with imposter syndrome? Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, every time that I've stepped foot in a new job, I've experienced it. Uh, just as I think everyone does. And I think that's just a, a factor of just not knowing the people at the job, not knowing exactly what the job entails. And that's just sort of stepping into the unknown, which uh, I don't know if is imposter syndrome or just uncertainty, uh, but I guess we can mm. connect the two hand in hand. Uh, but regarding sort of creative work, there's been several times. I mean, the most recent time I've experienced it was when I actually started uh, the job that I'm in now at, at Penn State. And in that, you know, I was 20, 23 and I had just uh, been offered sort of the <laughs> one of the greatest things to ever happen, and that is a job in in the media, you know, communication field, right out of college almost, and that's that's sort of something that that hardly ever happens. Uh, at least yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, you can attest to that. It's so difficult to get a job, and now that we're in a pandemic, it's it's even more difficult. Uh, but anyways, you know, for the first couple of months. You're learning. It's a it's a huge university. Uh, there's a lot of new people that you you have to work with, and, and you're you're meeting. And again, it's it's mostly uncertainty, but there are so many things that you just don't know. And I'm I've been there for a year. Uh, it's been a year now. Uh, a month ago, it's been a whole year, and you know I'm still like, oh, how did I get this job? <laughs> and I think it's going to be ten or fifteen years before I, I realize that. Uh, well, I, I, I'm actually good at this, right? But but there's something that's important about the job that has allowed me to continue to grow outside of just, you know, doing the creative things that I do for the job. And that is part of the job is teaching and facilitating workshops uh, that use multimedia. And, and one of the points that I want to bring up uh, and that somebody else brought up in some paper was that um, being able to teach or mentor uh other artists and other creatives is one way to get over that sort of barrier mm, that imposter sure, syndrome yeah. can can be. And as a part of the job, I mean, that's that's part of what I have to do. And so I'm forced into that position where I have to not only show off my expertise, but also put it into terms that other folks who aren't, uh, let's say, in the media or creative field, uh, because that's primarily who we're working with. Uh, like teach them how to make a, a podcast or teach them how to shoot and edit a video. And so that has really helped. Uh, there's one other, yeah. you know, so I don't have to talk too much about that. There's something else that I, I, I want to talk about, and that is um, actually also relevant. And that's, you know, quoting for freelance work. And so, hmm. you know, it's only been a, at least a year or two, maybe, maybe two years since I've actually been, you know, making money through freelance work. Uh, mostly video, video production. So small business, uh, videos, real estate videos and wedding videos. And I still, every time we get to the point where we're quoting, I think we always underbid 
because we're worried hmm. that we're not going to get the bid, even though we're not reliant on the money. So I'm, I'm guessing this is the imposter syndrome talking. We're worried that our work isn't good enough for market price. We're worried that uh, our examples that we have to show aren't good enough, so we have to underbid to still get the job. And all of these things factor in, and I don't think it's because we're young and we're a new company, but I, I think it's it's because we just don't have enough, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but it might be because we don't, we just don't have enough experience or perceived experience to, uh, to get that out of our head. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I can completely understand that. Uh, it is, it is important cause that that's, uh, relatable in not even just in freelance, but just searching for a job in general. And I mean, you mentioned, uh, getting that job, uh, relatively quickly and that, and that would, that's amazing for you. Uh, from the other side of the coin, it took me a while, uh, to get a video job. Uh, and I think it's something that a lot of people listening, uh, have understood or are experiencing right now. Uh, just that feeling of applying for uh, creative job after creative job after creative job and maybe getting one interview through three months or something like that. And then you, you don't get that. And so that lowers your confidence even more. Right. And it, it is just a thing that uh, that's probably the most common ground area that we've all experienced uh, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome through it is just the the job market, especially with the pandemic, just kind of being beating you down with you're not good enough. And then you reevaluate your website and be like, okay, the, like you said, these examples I have aren't, aren't good enough. And just getting your, in your own head that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. Uh, that's probably the most universal it gets. Yeah. Uh, well, and here's the other thing. Uh, and that is, and we talked about this in the, in the previous podcast, but you know, when you work on a project for so long, um, you can see every flaw of that pot project. And so I want to, I want to harp back to one of the first videos that I created. I talked about in this previous podcast, it was that music video, right? That was the first music video. That was the first video I did using, using a camera and I can pick out every single last problem <laughs> with that video. And yet if I show that to someone who's just who, who isn't into, who doesn't shoot and, and edit video, uh, they think it's awesome. And, and yes, again, I'm referring to my mom, but that's okay. And that's important. <laughs> but, but I want to tell you a couple of these mistakes were, uh, uh audio it was, was probably not, not great. I mean, a lot, it just wasn't great. There were continuity issues and errors where my actors were wearing different colored clothing, uh, <laughs> that, only I can catch because I've seen it a hundred thousand times and know that that's there. And then the other big one is, you know, I wasn't even thinking about this when, when creating this, but there are so many glass and reflective areas that I can see myself in the camera being <laughs> reflected that no one else picks up unless I point it out or unless they watch it, you know, a hundred times too. And so right. what I'm trying to get to is, you know, all of this work that we've done, we spend so much time looking at it and critiquing it ourselves that we don't put enough, you know, positive things in the in the good jar. We we actually take them out and put them in the bad jar because <laughs> we know exactly what what is what is uh, 
what is bad about those videos or those creations. Before we get back to our conversation, we just wanted to tell you that if you ever want to get in touch with us or be part of the show, you can do so by emailing askwtd at gmail.com. Whether it's a topic suggestion, a question for the two of us, or just general feedback, that email address is the easiest way to reach out. Since this is a podcast for normal people by normal people, we want to be as interactive and receptive as possible. Once again, that email is askwtd at gmail.com. Anyways, enough of that. Let's get back to it. Yeah, so I mean, we've been talking about all of these experiences and defining imposter syndrome and all that, uh, but we don't want to just be all woe is me, you know. <laughs> uh, we we have to address how we can, you know, overcome imposter syndrome. Otherwise, what's the point of this podcast other than just as us venting to one another? <laughs> uh, but so so. What have you seen uh, in terms of how you overcome imposter syndrome? How do you fight that inner voice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. Uh, and I, I again, I watched a, a couple of videos and stuff to prepare for this for this podcast. And one of the one of the things that popped out was uh, somebody somebody said this and they quoted, yeah, what is what is obvious to us uh, is amazing for someone else. And so that 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 refers to what I was just recently talking about in in that before the before the break, in that what is obvious to us is amazing for someone else. Basically, if we learn about something and uh, and and we we create something, we create a video, we write a book, we write a script, and we've spent time with it, we know the ins and outs of the story, we know everything. It it is it is now sort of mediocre for us. Because we've been with it for so long. Right. And when we share it, it could be amazing. Because they haven't spent the time developing the story. They haven't spent the time developing the plot or or even spent the time editing uh, or shooting or choosing the shutter speed or the camera angles or any of that. And so it's a, a work of art is amazing for them, even though it may seem obvious to us. And that's an important thing to get over and to understand. Um and so that's something that I, I think about, and I will continue to think about going forward. Another thing that I like to do, and again, this is like jumping off of that, is that if you can find value in what is different. So again, a lot of the stuff that we talk about and a lot of the work out there is not necessarily replicating each other, but influences each other. So uh, a lot of the stuff on YouTube, if you go down a cinematic rabbit hole, a lot of the stuff looks the same. I mean, look up morning routines, right? Or look up, you know, creating coffee, cinematic coffee. So many people are uh, influenced by one another and how they shoot and edit videos. And that's important. That's a growth process. But if you do something different or if yours doesn't look exactly like that, you should find value in that. Yeah, well... Uh I, I, I want to bring up an, another thing, which is uh, actually here. I, I also did some research. Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> uh, so uh, I watched a, a video. Uh, it, it was a TED TED talk uh, from Elizabeth Cox, I believe. And she says uh, to talk about it. 
uh, just in general, you know, talking about your imposter syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, many people suffering from imposter syndrome are afraid that if they ask about their performance, their fears will be confirmed. And even when they receive positive feedback, it often fails to ease feelings of fraudulence. But on the other hand, hearing that an advisor or mentor has experienced feelings of imposterism can help relieve those feelings. And the same goes for peers. Sure. And I think that's that's uh, an important thing. And even taking a step further back from that, I remember learning about the the term imposter syndrome back in freshman year uh with uh intro to human communication and being like oh so that's what i've been feeling this whole time and <laughs> yes, just yes. you know having a term for for it you know yeah. uh just helps even if it's that minuscule amount you know uh just the kind of idea of knowing is is half the battle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the thing when when that little inner voice uh, holds more power over you, then that's that's very problematic. And the problem with that is that it does hold so much power over us because it's our brain acting and working against us, right? Yeah, yeah, and and even uh, in terms of like I I did some reading and I, it seemed like I, I'm I don't know if you saw uh, anything about this, but you know they're trying to find links between imposter syndrome and anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. the general consensus was that you know it's not necessarily linked but uh at least in my experience it might accentuate <laughs> that feeling of imposter syndrome right, right, which right. kind of uh gives the importance of talking to someone about it even more credibility whether it is uh a mentor or friends or if you are seeing a therapist or something like that just talking about it mm-hmm. uh and expressing why you don't necessarily believe in yourself or something like that that can be that can be so important uh another thing from my experience that i was thinking about in terms of helping overcome your own imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. uh is identifying how you react when you start to feel like an imposter Mm -hmm. you know just just kind of finding your own cues or ticks like for me personally uh, if I start feeling like an imposter among a group of people, I might talk less or just kind of get into a low and, and be towards the back of the group or something like that. Or maybe I start being defensive with myself or making up excuses or trying to qualify my work to myself uh, or disqualifying like, oh, I made this video. Uh, it's stupid, but here it is anyways, you know, just trying to, you know, trying to lessen the blow for people, I guess. Right. It, I think it can be important to recognize what you do in reaction to feeling like an imposter so that you can understand yourself more and, and try to learn how you also pull yourself out of out of that thinking. Uh, and a lot of a big part of that is, as we, we talk about, surrounding yourself with people who, you know, lift you up and, and can get feedback from or just talk about those feelings in general. Right. Right. Yeah. To go, to go off that, um, uh, another thing that, uh, that I talked about earlier was that mentoring a, another artist, uh, and just, uh, and it can go back to even col- our, our talk about collaboration is when you're within a group that accepts, you know, who you are and the work that you do and can give positive feedback and feedback that is, uh, you know, critical feedback that is uh, beneficial, and it's not necessarily positive all the time, but beneficial feedback, 
that is that is just so important for the creative process. Now, something that I like to do as well is uh, I like to have a, I guess uh, you could call it a, a, a personal brag box. And I just started this hmm. recently, uh, actually within my job at Penn State. And that is whenever I teach a, a good workshop and the professor or whoever was the instructor of that class uh, emails back and says, hey, thanks for the workshop. That was awesome. That was great. My, my students loved it. I learned a lot. I actually saved that email and I put it in a separate folder. Uh, and I haven't had to go back and look at those yet, but there may be a day where I'm just feeling down in the dumps and I need a little pick me up and I can go back into that folder and I can read through some of those emails and, and, and remind myself that, yes, I am worthy of this job. I'm good at this. I'm good at this job. And uh, it's just it's just always there. And I've, I've thought about opening that email box up to other things outside of my Penn State job. Uh, and I, I'm thinking that I may do that because it's always nice to just have a reminder that you didn't write, but somebody else wrote uh, to, to look back on. Yeah, that I, th- I think that's it. when you say, say that uh, it just reminds me of the that, you know, that SNL sketch. I think it was with Michael Jordan, like the daily affirmations. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's what that reminds me of. Uh, just, you know, that is important of, of just, you know, trying to remind yourself of the impact that you've made. Yeah, I, th- I think that is a, a super uh, important thing, whether you're Michael Jordan or a white dude in the closet with a microphone. <laughs> which is which is you. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, in terms of that daily affirmation kind of thing, I have my cork board at my desk that has all of my ideas of projects that I want to work on and post notes all over the place. And I have one that's in black Sharpie, all caps. Uh, that's just, it's okay to not know. Uh, because I think that's something that imposter syndrome can, uh, get down to you on is, is just not having the answers. And I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't have to have all of the answers, you know, it's, nor do you uh, have the answers. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like whether you, you're trying to, uh, solve a problem or you're just trying to come up with an idea or write a script or something and you're you're just struggling with this page you know it's it's okay to you know just breathe a little bit and and think it over and take a break and things like that right and that's when i would lean on people around you for uh help with that and 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 sometimes that could be that writer's block or creative block and if you can lean on some other people around you, uh, if you want that support, those people may give it to you. And they don't even have to be people who've ever written before or who've ever written scripts or, or shot and, and edited videos before. Because sometimes, uh, most likely, the people who are going to be reading or watching these videos or, or, or whatever you're making are are going to be those people. They're not necessarily going to be other writers or editors out there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Some, some of the other uh, sort of... Um, professional remedies or other ways to go about it are, uh, like you said, recognizing your negative thoughts and work to change them. So when you hear that little voice in the back of your head, start saying, Hey, you should stop talking or, Hey, move to the back of the room and, 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 uh, don't give up that you're not good at this. Uh, try to fight that, right? That's one thing. Also they say, you know, become a risk taker. Now, that could be really, really difficult if you are 
experiencing the imposter syndrome. But sometimes if you are able to take that risk, it might be kind of like bursting that bubble, uh, which could which could help. I mean, I, I haven't experienced that. This is, again, a, a, a more professional view of uh, a couple of things because we were talking earlier about our our own remedies. Um, again, this, this says if you can't trust yourself, try trusting others for a while. That could that could help. Um, and then treat yourself like your best friend. So when you are creating work, when you're creating things, be happy about that work. Feel good about that work. Share it with people around you who you know whether or not that work is good is going to say that they like it. At least for the at least for the short time to to help you get through those those hard uh, difficult times. And then again, uh, and then lastly, get get comfortable. Um, openly sharing your work. And that is, again, after you've gotten past the, oh, my mom loves it. So maybe it's time to show my professor or maybe it's time to show some <laughs> of my friends who will actually critique it and give me that feedback I need to become a better uh, and uh, a more creative uh, person. Sure. Uh, before we move on to our, our last segment, I, I also just want to thank all of the people who have reached out to us oh, yes. since we started this podcast. Uh, somewhat related in that, you know, just getting all this this positive feedback and and people who have enjoyed listening to our first couple of episodes uh, has eased my imposter syndrome yep. with this podcast. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so so thanks everyone for for reaching out and you know share this with others. Uh, you know, just hearing people talk about imposter syndrome might be just the thing that you know helps people out of that rut. You know. I agree. And also, if you are ever interested in coming onto the show and talking about your experiences, we would absolutely love to work uh, work your your story or your project into, into our show. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, Nate, now for definitely not procrastinating, what have you been reading or watching uh, this week or, or something that has just gotten you inspired or motivated to get up and do something? Yeah, again, I've been back on that documentary binge again. I love <laughs> the documentaries. And so uh, this past week, I watched Requiem for the American Dream. Oh. And this is, uh, yeah, so directed by Jared Scott. Uh, and it, it is pretty much an interview-driven documentary uh, by Noam Chomsky. Hmm. And it's basically about inequalities in America and uh, basically coming that coming from like the super super wealthy in the top one-tenth percent uh, sort of having a harmful effect on democracy. Again, I think these documentaries are uh, very informative, but they also utilize so many great storytelling techniques, which is why I love watching them. And I love to, to see the differences between different and different documentary styles, the way they've been shot and edited and directed. And, and for this, they use a lot of stock footage because again it is driven by that uh interview narrative hmm. uh, a lot of visual effects and it prioritizes the interview and the interview isn't shot in that regular uh like third of the screen it's not it's not shot in a usual regular interview oh, style sure. so you're getting a lot of tight close shots uh, a lot of kind of awkward angled shots uh, and yet it's not disturbing enough to be disruptive uh, to the story, but it does provide for a very unique uh, 
way to tell that story through the lens. And so I just, I saw it on YouTube and I, I, I like some of the stuff that I've seen, um, from Jared Scott and from actually from, uh, Noam Chomsky. And so I, I said, let's give it a go. And it turned out to be a phenomenal, uh, guide to some of the very important problems with inequality in the uh, United States. Nice. That's a good yeah, one. And, and so what about you? Well, uh, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit this week because this is something I've actually, I actually watched uh, a while ago, but it got brought mm-hmm. back into my, into my mind last night, uh, because the golden globes were last night. Uh, I didn't oh, watch, yeah. but I was keeping up with, uh, who was winning. <laughs> and uh, if if you if you know me in real life, uh-huh. you probably know my uh, affinity for the show Barry on HBO. Yeah, of course. Uh, this show uh, is basically another version of that where I'm just telling everybody to watch it. Uh, Jason Sudeikis won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for Ted Lasso. Yes, which is such such a good show. Uh, it's it's just a shame that I feel like more people haven't watched it because it's on uh, Apple Plus, yep. which is is probably, if I had to guess, it's probably the streaming service that the least amount of people have. Right. Uh, but it's it's so worth just you know getting a free trial or just doing whatever the subscription is for like a month just to watch that first season. It's such a good show. It's just a an American coach. Uh, an American football coach who ends up going to London or to England rather uh, to coach a Premier League soccer team. Uh, and it's, it's just such a funny and heartwarming and, and real show. Uh, it, it's so good. It's definitely one of the, the things from this last year of being inside all the time. Uh-huh. That's just lifted my spirits the most. I think it, it's such a good show in general, but, especially for this time right now. So Ted Lasso on Apple, highly recommend. I've heard good things about it. I haven't seen it yet, uh, but I may have to hold you up on that offer of looking for that, that free trial. Yeah. I, I I think you'd like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Nate, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nate Ulrich 16. That is N A T E U L R I C H one six. Please tweet me. Uh, follow me and I will, I will respond <laughs> if you tweet me. <laughs> what about you, Jacob? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Jacob Novak. Uh, oh, we're still with that. We're still with that. Yeah. I'm, I listen. I, like, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I mean, we're getting to the point where like, I have to keep it the longer you that sure do. it goes on. I just, I wish I didn't. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to find something else. Positive affirmation. I love that name. (laughs) Thank you, Nate. (laughs) And your name? It's okay. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Write That Down is produced by Nate Ulrich and Jacob Novak. Music for this podcast includes Answered by Katza and Dream 13 by Punch Deck. You can find links to both artists in the description for this episode. If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can email your questions or topic suggestions to askwtd at gmail.com. 
Once again, that's askwtd at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.